Let's give him, amen, a good Ben Dale, welcome this pulpit tonight. Come on, let's continue to magnify the Lord in this house. Aren't you thankful to be in his room tonight, in his presence? Oh, let's just take a moment and magnify him. Why don't we just take a moment and lift up his name? Come on, let's not just rush through this. Let's just take a moment. If he's been good to you, why don't you give him praise in the house? If he's ever answered prayers, why don't you praise him? Amen. I believe that's why the Bible tells us to praise him according to his excellent greatness. That tells me every time I come into God's house, my praise ought to match how great God's been to me. Now I understand that in reality my praise will never match the greatness I've experienced. But I believe the principle is the same. I ought to do my best every time I come into God's house. If God's ever been great to me, I deserve to give Him a great praise. Amen. And I think God has been great to everybody in this room this evening. And because of that, He deserves a great praise. He deserves a great praise. Amen. Amen. And I feel the presence of the Lord in this house this evening. And um, I give honor again to Brother and Sister Moore in this great congregation. And um, I was uh, kind of looking over some things this afternoon and had already prepared to uh, preach a certain direction, but in typical fashion. All you preachers understand what I'm talking about. About 5.15, it was like the Lord just kind of uh, dropped something else into my spirit. And I, I, I quickly jotted a few things down. Um, but I'm glad to know that God knows exactly where we are. That He'll uh, direct us and speak to us so we can receive a word for right now at that moment. And uh, there's nothing like hearing a word in due season. In fact, I believe it's in Proverbs where the Bible says that it's like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. A word spoken in due season. And I believe that God wants to speak a word, not to just an individual, but to people in this house. Amen. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to, and I, I usually don't jump around this much, but just bear with me, uh, just to kind of build this, what I feel like the direction we need to go in. I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 4. And then I'm going to jump over into the New Testament of John chapter 1. And then I'll jump over to Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, we'll just see what the Lord wants to do in this house. I couldn't help but catch the confirmation of the Holy Ghost as Brother Moore began to open the service with some of his remarks. And um, again, some of you preachers understand this, that when you hear key statements, key phrases, it, it may just be a statement to people in the congregation. But I couldn't help again but catch the confirmation of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that God's going to help us tonight. I believe that God's going to speak to us. 
Ecclesiastes chapter number 8 and verse number 4. The Bible says, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? Another translation of that verse simply says that God's command is backed by power. No one can question or resist it. Simply put, whenever God speaks a word, whatever he just spoke is going to come to pass. Because where the word of a king is, there's power. John chapter 1 and verse number 1 and 2. John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse number 14 then tells us, And that Word, which was with God and was God, that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes where the word of a king is, there's absolute power. But then John nails it down one more time by telling us in the beginning was that word. And the word was with God and that word, it was God. So one more verse of scripture, Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 20. The Bible says, now unto him. Who is that Him? Jesus, God, the Word. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we may ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. How many are thankful that you serve that kind of God in this room tonight? A God who can not only meet your need, but a God who can give you things that you even asked for. A God that can give you things that you have not even thought about. That's the kind of God you serve in this room that Paul's telling us about. He's able to give you exceeding abundantly above all that you may ask or think. That's what God can do. For a few moments this evening, I felt the Holy Ghost kind of drop this into my spirit. And I want to preach to you for a little while tonight on what God cannot do. What God cannot do. Why don't we lift our hands all over this house one more time. And as we lift our hands, why don't we join our voices together and ask the Holy Ghost to speak to our heart. God, we love you tonight. We feel your presence in this room. God, I'm thankful for this opportunity to stand before your people. God, I'm asking you right now that your word would go forth in the next few moments with liberty and freedom. God, let your word that is not bound move and minister to every heart in this house. Come on, why don't we pray right now in the Holy Ghost and in faith just for a moment. God, in your name, let your spirit move. In Jesus' name. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. Come on, let's just take a moment. Come on, somebody ought to pray in faith right now before we get into the Word.
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Why don't you give the Lord one more great hand clap of praise in this house. And you may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. Yehuda Berg once made a statement that words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. He said words have the energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to harm, and to humiliate. Because words are the most powerful force available to us, humanity. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I take those 26 letters in our alphabet and we begin to carefully arrange and blend those letters together, those 26 letters begin to then form words. Words that have rallied troops to war and brought nations to peace. Because whether they are spoken or whether they are written, words have the power to direct the course of an individual's life. Can I remind you that words can build somebody's confidence or words can destroy somebody's dream. Words can encourage the discouraged, heal the brokenhearted, and even mellow the most chaotic of spirits. Because words, ladies and gentlemen, in our humanity has that kind of ability and that kind of power. Well, along the same line, I've also come to tell you that while words are powerful, I've come to take it a step further this evening and tell you that there is nothing as powerful in the spirit world as long as well as the natural world as the word of God. It is the underlying fact that Solomon told us when he let us know that where the word of a king is there is power. Can I remind you this evening that the Word of God is so powerful that during creation God made the statement or the Bible makes the statement and God said ten times and what God spoke became a reality. His Word is so powerful that the psalmist tells us God has spoken once indicating it only takes God to speak once for something to be established. In fact, it is in the book of Hebrews where it tells us through faith we understand that the world's reframed by the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to remind you of a very simple principle, and that is why we as humanity have words that are powerful and creative. I've also come to remind you that God has words, and those words are also powerful, and they're also creative. I've come to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that there is nothing as powerful as the word of God. I'm just going to go back to the basics this evening and remind you uh, that the Bible is not just another book. Uh, Even though it was penned by prophets and kings, uh, fishermen, tax collectors, and even a doctor, uh, it only has one author uh, and one consistent message. Uh, Can I remind you that that Bible uh, is more than 66 books uh, and 1,189 chapters, uh, but it was written uh, under the inspiration uh, of the Holy Ghost. Uh, It is inspired. uh, It is God breathed. It means when you hold that Bible, you've got the breath and mind of God in your hand. And because of that, you're just going to have to excuse me this evening. It's because I understand there is nothing like God's Word. 
Can I remind you this evening uh, that God's Word uh, is not the Quran uh, and it's not the encyclopedia and it's not some motivational read uh, and it's not some 10-step program, uh, but it's the divine uh, inspired Word of God. And there is nothing, uh, there is nothing like God's Word. There's nothing as powerful and there is nothing as creative as the Word of God. Brother Moore said it during the preliminary uh, that God, whatever He starts, uh, He always finishes. Uh, and can I remind you that God, uh, whatever He begins, uh, He always completes. Uh, because it's interesting uh, that what God begins in Genesis, uh, He completes it in Revelation. Uh, because God never starts something with His Word uh, and leaves it undone. Uh, it is in Genesis uh, where the earth is created. Uh, but in Revelation it passes away. Uh, in Genesis, the sun and moon appear, but in Revelation there is no need for the sun, for Jesus is the light of the city. In Genesis, a garden is prepared for man, but in Revelation there is a city built by God, the eternal home of the redeemed. In Genesis, we are introduced to Satan, but in Revelation we read of his doom. In Genesis, a curse is pronounced, but in Revelation it tells us, and there shall be no more curse. In Genesis, we hear the first cry and see the first teardrop. But in Revelation, it says, but God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying whatever God starts, he's going to finish. Whatever God initiates, there is going to be a completion because we are serving a God who finishes what he starts. It's why the Bible calls him Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's author and finisher of our faith. Ladies and gentlemen, aren't you thankful you're serving a God who finishes everything he starts? This is why Paul writes to the Philippian church. And Paul says, being confident of this one thing. What are you confident in, Paul? He that hath begun. He that hath started. A good work in you. He's going to perform it. He's going to finish it uh, until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, aren't you thankful, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that whatever God's Word starts, uh, there is going to be a completion uh, because I'll say it again. Brother Moore's already said it. We are serving a God who when He starts something, uh, He's going to bring a completion. Pilate one day poses the question to Jesus, Art thou a king? While Nathaniel has a revelation and says, Thou art the king of Israel. But ladies and gentlemen, I've come into this service tonight to go beyond Nathaniel's revelation and tell you that while he is a king, he's not just any other king. But my Bible says he is the king of kings. And where the word of a king is, there is power. What was Solomon telling us? In Solomon's day, kings had absolute power in what they said. Whenever a king made 
made a declaration it was going to come to pass. Well, I've come to tell somebody in this room that there is a king in our midst whose word surpasses them all. That's why your Bible said, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall, it shall accomplish which I please because whatever God says it's going to happen see God doesn't need peace conferences God doesn't need a committee God doesn't need man's approval all God has to do is open his mouth and speak a word and whatever God speaks it's going to come to pass because where the word of a king is there is power This is what Paul is trying to tell us when he writes to the Ephesian church. When he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Paul is telling us that God can do the impossible. And God can do the miraculous. And God can do the supernatural. Paul is driving it home. This is what God is able to do. Then Paul again turns around in the book of Ephesians or Philippians And says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And the common thread among those two verses is whatever God says with his word, that's what he's able to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to remind you of a very powerful yet simple principle. That whatever God's word says... It's going to come to pass. You see, God commands, and then there's a confirmation. God decrees, and there's a demonstration. God proclaims, and there is a performance. You see, the challenge in this room tonight is not trying to find something God cannot do. The challenge in this room is trying to find something God cannot do or can do. Because ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that when God speaks, that's when Lazarus comes walking out of a tomb. When he speaks, that's when winds and waves begin to lay down and obey. When he speaks, that's when sickness and disease have to leave. And demons are cast out. Because ladies and gentlemen, that is the power that's in his word. Now in my my short lifetime, I've heard presidents declare war. I've heard athletes give victory speeches. I've heard politicians try to woo the masses with their rhetorical speeches that they've put together. We all know what it's like for salesmen to try to convince us to buy things that we could probably do without. But can I tell this congregation that the sales pitch and the motivational speech, and the war proclamation, and the victory declaration, all of those words are powerless compared to the word I've heard cuttered by a God-called anointed man who would stand by in a pulpit, open this book, and say, Thus saith the Lord. 
This world can have Aesop's fables. They can have the philosophies of Socrates, Confucius, and Plato. They can memorize every word of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. But those words have no power compared to the words that I read in this book. When God said, let there be light, go your way. Thy faith has made you whole. Pursue and without fail recover all. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find knock and it shall be open why does this word still get us to celebrate and worship it's because we've got the revelation it's not the words of a man it's not a theory it is God's word and whatever God's word declares that's why we can read those statements and get excited It's because we understand that there is nothing His Word cannot do. There is nothing His Word cannot accomplish. And I've simply come to tell some individuals in this room that it doesn't matter what you're dealing with and it doesn't matter what you're in the middle of and it doesn't matter what you're facing. All you need is for the God of heaven to walk in this room, open His mouth and speak a word because that's all it takes. All you need is one word from God because there's nothing His word cannot do. Thank God for his word. When the Philistines stole and burglarized the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says they popped the lid open. And it was there where they had the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and the man of God rained from the sky. You know what's amazing about that story? The Philistines took the manna, and they took the rod that budded. But they left God's Word. They wanted nothing to do with God's commandments. They wanted supernatural, and they wanted the provision. Sounds like a lot of churches today, doesn't it? Give me the supernatural, give me miracle signs and wonders, but don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me I've got to be dedicated Boy, we're going to take a hard left right here, but I'm telling you, that sounds a lot like churches today. It sounds like a lot of religions today. God, heal my body. Give me miracles. Give me finances. Give me supernatural. Give me provision. But I don't want anything to do with your word. The Philistines took the rod, and they took the manna. And the only thing that was left was those Ten Commandments that represented God's word. And the Bible says when Solomon gets ready to dedicate the temple that he built, he brings that ark in, Brother Moore. That ark that no longer has the rod. The ark that no longer has the manna. The only thing that was left in that ark was God's word. But your Bible says when he brought in that ark with God's word in it, Solomon began to pray. And he began to pray that prayer of dedicating the temple. And your Bible says that before he could even finish praying, that the glory of the Lord filled that house. And it began to shake the foundation. And the priest couldn't even minister. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying the only way to get God's glory in the house is you've got to have God's word. Supernatural glory and provision are 
byproducts of when God's word is released. Ladies and gentlemen, you want a miracle? Open the book. You want God to move? Get in the book. Because God's word has always brought the glory. There is no substitute for this book, ladies and gentlemen. The supernatural and provision is only possible when God's Word is first presented. His Word is so powerful that the psalmist tells us He sent His Word. And He healed and delivered them from their destruction. His word is so powerful that when Jesus begins to commission his disciples, the Bible says he sent them out and said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to preach the word. And the Lord working with them confirmed that word with signs following. His word is so powerful that Jesus one day tells a man, I'll come to your house and I'll heal your servant. But that man has a revelation. He says, Lord, I'm a man of authority. When I speak, things happen. I tell people to go and they go. I tell people to do things and they do it. He said, I understand authority. And he said, I think you operate by that same authority. He said, Lord, your presence is not even needed. Because you can speak a word on this side of town. And the fulfillment of that word will come to pass on the other side of town. This man has a revelation, ladies and gentlemen, that all you've got to do, Lord, is open your mouth and speak the word. And my servant will be healed. Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you that there is nothing as powerful and there is nothing God's word cannot do. This is why the book of Acts chapter 10 says that when Peter... Preach the word. While Peter is preaching his sermon, the Holy Ghost falls on them that heard the word. This is why when Paul begins to equip and train his protege, Timothy, he said, Timothy, this is what you got to do. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Because if you preach that word, Timothy the Word will always bring to pass the results you're looking for. This is why throughout my ministry, and this is why throughout my life when I wasn't even yet in ministry, I've seen men and I've preached myself, and while I wasn't even preaching anything to do with what somebody needed, God's Word went forth with the more, and God's Word met the very need that individual is going through. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is supernatural power, and there is supernatural authority. There is nothing like God's Word. I remember when I had just started full-time evangelizing. I would preached ever since I was 18 consistently. and I started full-time when I was 25. And I remember about two years in, I was preaching in Louisiana. The pastor was kind of introducing me to come preach. And he said, what I like about Brother Sanford is he's, he's just a word preacher. And it kind of caught me off guard because, you know, I, I don't know how you are, but I listen to all types of preaching. I mean, you can ask my wife, I am a preaching fanatic. There's not a day that goes by when I don't listen to preaching, at least some form of preaching. 
And uh, I mean, I love all, I love expository preaching. I love subject preaching. I love preaching where you take a story and you kind of build around the story. I mean, I love all kinds of preaching. But I've come to learn through the years, Brother Moore, that if I want to be known as anything, I want to be known as somebody that just knows how to preach the book. Because yes, I use stories. And yes, I'll use analogies. And yes, I'll pull from other sources to kind of tie in to make the point. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is you've just got to preach the word. Because I've come to learn, Brother Moore, you preach that book, you're going to get what you preach. You preach that book, and God's going to honor that word. You just preach what the book says, and God's going to step in that house because there's nothing God's word cannot do I remember preaching in some, some state on a Wednesday night I wasn't even preaching about healing brother Moore three people come up to me after the service was over one of them said I haven't been able to hear in months the other one said, I've had terrible back pain. The other one said, there was some other kind of ailment. And they said, Brother Sanford, you weren't even preaching about healing. But in the middle of your sermon, I began to feel a warm sensation go down my back. Or my ear popped open. Or whatever the other need was. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to learn that when God's Word is presented, and when God's Word is preached, there is an unlimited power. And there is a supernatural authority that's able to come to where you are and meet you right where you are. Because there is nothing there is nothing like the word of God there is nothing God's word cannot do yet with all the power that word has I've come to learn that there is only one thing God cannot do if he's the word in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And if that God who is the Word is able to do exceeding abundantly above all things, come to learn, ladies and gentlemen, there is one thing God cannot do. You do a word study on the word impossible. Nine times in the King James Version, you're going to see the word impossible referenced. Eight of those nine times, it talks about man's limited ability. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Eight of those nine times, Brother Moore, it takes the word impossible and points back to us. But ladies and gentlemen, there is only one time the Bible takes the word impossible and points back to God. And it's in Hebrews 6, 17 through 18, when the writer says we're in God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed by His oath, that by two immutable things, it was impossible for God to lie and because of this we have a strong consolation what are you saying preacher I'm saying if there's one thing God cannot do if there's one thing God's word cannot do he cannot tell you a lie and I've come to tell somebody in this room that if God said, I'm going to heal your body, if God said, your family's going to be saved, if God said, you're going to have revival, you better get ready because if God said it, 
If God said it, he's going to do it because the only thing God cannot do. I wish somebody would get a hold of this right now. If God said your kids are going to be saved, if God said your spouse is coming back, if God said the door's about to open, you better get ready. It's going to happen because God can. I said God can not lie. Heaven and earth can pass away. But when the sun fades and the moon goes out, his word will not pass away. The grass can wither and the flower can fade, but his word shall remain. His word is forever settled in heaven. The one thing God cannot do is God can not lie. And if God has spoken it, it's settled. If God's word says it, or if God has spoken it with his mouth, it's settled. And hell cannot hinder it. The devil cannot deny it. Circumstance cannot slow it down. God, I feel my Holy Ghost in this house right now. It is impossible to please God without faith. Now we preach the dog out of that. You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. But you know what's amazing? I looked it up before church. The same word the writer uses when he says impossible to please God without faith is the same word the writer uses when he says it is impossible for God to lie. It's not in who God is to tell you one thing and not do it. It is impossible, Brother Moore, to please God without faith. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. But can I tell you, you've got to understand the context of what the Bible's teaching us. It is impossible to please God without faith, but it's equally impossible for God to lie to you. Because my Bible says he's bound to that word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's bound to that Word. In fact, the Bible says He's not a man that He should lie, nor is He the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said it, shall He not do it? Hath He spoken, shall He not make it good? This is why the book of Psalms says this, God says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie unto David. We love to celebrate the fact that we serve a holy God. We love to celebrate the fact that God is holy. But God said, I've sworn by my own holiness that whatever I've said to you, I will not lie. Because if God, I think Brother Moore said it during the preliminary, if God is God enough to say it, He's God enough to do it. If He's God enough to put it in this book, 
if he was God enough to do it for these people all throughout these pages, uh, then who am I to convince myself uh, that he's not God enough to do it for me uh, and he's not God enough to do it for you? Uh, if God done it for them, uh, he can do it for anybody in this room. Because there is no variableness in him. Neither is there shadow of turning. If God has ever done it before, he can do it again. If God is no respecter of persons. If he'd done it for Jacob, he'd done it for Moses, and he'd done it for all these men. He's the same God who can do it for you and your family. Because he is no respecter of persons. If God said it, he can do it. And I know it's cliche, but brother Moore, I would rather believe a God who cannot lie over a devil who cannot tell the truth. Jesus one day looks at the scribes and Pharisees and he said, you guys remind me of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth. When he speaks of a lie, he speaks of his own. Because he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. Jesus is telling them in a sense that it is impossible for God to lie. And it's equally impossible for the devil to tell the truth. And it's in that simple revelation, that simple story uh, that we so many times gloss over uh, where we see the motive uh, of every attack that is sent from hell. Uh, can I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that the first thing the devil attacked in the garden was God's Word. God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in a garden, says, you see all these trees? You can have them all. But do not touch that one tree. Because the day you touch that tree, that's the day you're going to die. God speaks that word. And no sooner does that word leave the lips of God, the devil crawls up on the shoulder of Eve and in his subtlety asks this question, Hath God said? The first thing the devil attacked in that book was what God had already told Adam and Eve. Yes, the devil's going to attack us in a lot of ways. But from the very beginning, the one thing that hell has been after, he's been after what that book says. God had already made the declaration, this is what's going to happen. Period. But hell's duty has always been to try to put a question mark where God has already put a period. The motive of hell is trying to get us to question and doubt everything that God has already spoken into our life. We like to talk about eschatology and the end time. Fact is, we're, we're, we're rapidly coming up on it, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we are, I mean they've, they've already got the materials ready for the third temple. They've got the red heifers. I mean, it's, it's wrapping up fast. I mean, it's almost scary how fast this is coming together. Our president is using the word Armageddon multiple times. Telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get right. It's time to get serious about this. But we want to talk about the Antichrist coming, and there's a day coming when he is. And we want to talk about the mark of the beast, and there's a day coming. 
we get, we get caught up over 666, but the number six represents man. And it's going to be in the forehead, the wrist. We, we, we get so tripped up over that, and we're so worried about that. But can I tell you, and, and this is same for theology, you can take it or you can throw it out. I don't think 666 is the original mark of the beast. We're waiting on that mark to come. But can I tell you, the original mark of the beast came all the way back in the garden. Because the original mark of the beast is a question mark that gets me to wonder and doubt what God really just said to me. I'm going to tell you, I believe I'm looking at a congregation right now, Brother Moore, that there's no way in the world we're going to take that mark. But what about the question mark that gets us to doubt God's word? What about, man, I feel my Holy Ghost right here. What about the question mark uh, that when God sends a preacher or God sends your pastor uh, and says everything's going to be all right uh, and God's going to bring your family through uh, and God's going to heal your body uh, and God's going to do this, this, and that? Uh, what is the question? What, is, what, what kind of deal do we have uh, when Satan can crawl up in our lap uh, and question the very thing God just spoke to us? Uh, how many times uh, have we come to church on a Sunday and Wednesday uh, and God's Speaks a word directly to us. And before we get home, that same subtle devil crawls up in the corner of that car and begins to ask the same question, hath God said? I know God said your family's going to be saved, but do you really believe that? See, that's the mark that's affecting a lot of people right now. There's a lot of people who don't have to worry about that mark coming. But what about the mark that comes in the form of a question mark? That when God says you're going to be healed, and God says this is all going to work out, how do we handle that mark? Ladies and gentlemen, hell is smart enough to know that he cannot attack us through unbelief. See, here's the deal. Doubt is not unbelief. And unbelief is not doubt. The biblical definition of unbelief is the mindset that says this will not happen. You are totally opposed to whatever has been presented to you in that moment. I don't think there's a person in this room who will say God will not heal. See, that's unbelief. There's not a person in this room who would say God cannot save. There's not a person in this room that says God will not deliver and God will not work. That's unbelief when you say that. And because hell understands I cannot attack the church through unbelief, I'll attack them through doubt. You see, doubt differs from unbelief because while unbelief says this will not happen, doubt gets you to question just a little bit. I know that's what God said, but I'm just not sure. I know this is what the book says, but I'm just not sure God will do it for me. Ladies and gentlemen, hell has been at this game a long time. And hell understands that I cannot get them to utterly say God won't do it. But if I can get them to doubt, God's going to do it. Doubt will eventually give a harvest field to unbelief. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you that if you're going to doubt anything in this hour... And if you're going to doubt anything in this service, uh, you might as well just doubt your doubts. 
but do not ever doubt the promises of God. Because this book says they are in Him, yea, and they are a man. I was preaching in, in Louisiana. Pastor got up and made the statement that kind of checked me, and I've never forgot it. He got up before that congregation and he says, Church, I'm just going to say it right now. If God never gave me another promise, I'd be all right with it. And they kind of responded like some of you are right now. What do you mean you don't want a promise? He said, let me explain it. He said, I've got enough promises throughout the years that God has not yet done. That if he would just fulfill those promises, it would be more than enough to get me to heaven. He said, I, he said, yes, I want more promises. He said, but you know what, God? You can just hit pause and go from this moment backward and begin to fulfill everything you've promised me through the years. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe I'm looking at some people right now who's got some promises throughout years of yesterday. You've got words that God has not yet brought to pass. And I'm telling somebody in this room that the promises of God are in Him, yea, and they are amen. It's simply means God says yes and then God brings it to pass and if God is God enough to say yes he's God enough to bring it into existence how many times are we stuck between the yay and the amen God says yay yes I'm going to do it but we get stuck between that dash of God saying it's going to happen and it actually happening. This is what I felt in my evangelist quarters right before church. You know, promises, while we love to celebrate them and while we love to shout over them, I'm just like you. I was preaching and, and, uh, and I got my timer going, but it's not really mattering right now. I was preaching in Florida back in August. Church there in Crestview. I'm kind of greeting people after church, and this young lady walks up to me, probably late 20s, shook my hand and says, that, that message was for me. I needed that. She turns around to leave, Brother Moore, and then she turns back around. Probably the most least likely person I would have ever expected to do this. She said, God said this, 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 this. The very thing I prayed that morning. See, the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, it's easy to get a promise from God. There's nothing more fulfilling than getting a promise from God. Whether it's somebody speaking it to you or you reading that book for yourself and getting a word. But can I tell you and can I be honest that promises, if you really want to look at it, are like a catch-22. While there is nothing more fulfilling than getting a word from God, there's also nothing more frustrating either. Because while in the moment you're celebrating and you're shouting over the fact that this is what God said, Monday morning rolls around and reality sets in. And God didn't tell you how long you got to wait. God didn't tell you what day it's going to happen on. God didn't tell you where you're going to be at or what you're going to be wearing. God just steps in, says, here's my promise, and then he steps out. And while promises are, yes, fulfilling, they can also be frustrating. Because God's timing is not my timing. Is this all right? See, this is why the Bible calls God eternal. He lives in an ever-present now. 
That's why the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. That's why the Bible says there is no variableness in him, neither shadow of turning. This is why the Bible says he's the same yesterday, day, and forever. Because God is eternal. And because God lives in an ever-present now, it's not possible for him to change. It's 2022 for us. But God's in time, but God's also outside of time. And while God will speak a word to us, and because we are subject to time, and we've got to go through the days, weeks, and months, and maybe even years, when God speaks it, it's already done. Because He's eternal. And the moment He speaks that word, it's already done in the mind of God. We've just got to go through the time to get to it. And that's what frustrates us. Because while God is not subject to time, we are. And I've got to live the days. And I've got to go through the weeks and the months and the years. See, this is what happened to Abraham. God steps in. I wrote it down. God steps in. Genesis 12. Abraham is 75 years old when God speaks to him. He says, leave the earth of the Chaldees. Get up and walk. Every place your footsteps, I'll give it to you, Abraham. You're going to have a son. And from that boy, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Genesis 12. Abraham is 75 years old. The promise comes. God steps out. Three chapters later, Genesis 15. While it may take us 20 minutes to read those three chapters, those three chapters cover 10 years. Moses is now 85. The promise hasn't come to pass yet. How frustrating it must have been because Abraham was first called Abram, which means exalted father. But when God's promise comes to him, his name changes to Abraham, which means the father of many. How frustrating was it for Moses or Abraham to live those 10 years that means my father or I'm the father of many? How many kids you got, Abraham? Zero. See, promises are frustrating if we don't understand time and season. God steps back out. Two chapters more passed, Genesis 17. Four chapters have passed. Ten years between Genesis 12 and 15, but now from Genesis 15 to 17, 14 more years have passed. In five chapters, 24 years of time has passed in the life of Abraham. God spoke to him in the beginning and said, you're going to have a son and in that boy, all the nations of the earth is going to be blessed. And 24 years have passed. And God is nowhere to be found. You see, in those days, and I, I'm going to hurry through this, but in those days, you had two types of covenants people would make with one another. Covenants were a very big deal in the Old Testament. And when, when people would come together and make a covenant with each other, you had a conditional covenant, and then you had an unconditional covenant. Me and my brother here came together and said, this is the deal we're going to make with each other. I hold up my end of the deal, you hold up your end of the deal. And if I don't hold up my end of the deal, you are free from your responsibility. That was a conditional covenant, meaning this covenant's only going to happen because it's conditional on both of us making 
and meeting both of our agreements. But then there was an unconditional covenant where people came together and the responsibility fell on one individual. One individual out of the party carried the weight and the responsibility of bringing that covenant to pass. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why when God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to have a son, the Bible says a deep sleep falls on Abraham. And while Abraham is asleep, Abraham, before he ever goes to sleep, the Bible says, has taken animals, birds and doves, and he has split those animals into pieces. The book of Jeremiah calls it the peace covenant. Because in those days when people would make an agreement, they would cut animals in half, and they would walk up and down the aisle of that animal, and they would say these words, that if I do not fulfill my oath, let it be done unto me what was done unto these pieces. That's how much value and stock people's word had back then. If I don't fulfill my obligation, rip me from piece to piece, God. And Abraham thinks this is conditional between him and God. He's got the pieces. God shows up and says, no, Abraham, go to sleep. And while Abraham is asleep, your Bible says that God comes down like a flame and a torch of fire. And that God who comes as a flame of torch begins to walk up and down those pieces. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what God was telling Abraham? That this promise I'm about to make you, man, I feel my Holy Ghost right here. This promise I'm about to make you, Abraham, isn't conditional. It's not on your shoulders and mine, but the promise I'm making you, Abraham, is unconditional. This is why your Bible said that when God got ready to swear, He said, I looked around, and because I found nobody greater, I swore by myself. You know what God was saying? He was saying, I'm putting my name and my reputation on the line, and if this doesn't happen, it's not your fault, Abraham. It's my fault. And when God went through those pieces, uh, He was simply telling Abraham, uh, the only thing you've got to do, Abraham, uh, is just keep walking uh, and keep believing uh, and stay faithful uh, and the day's going to come that I'm going to fulfill my promise uh, because this is all on my shoulders. Uh, You know what God was telling Abraham? If I make you a promise, uh, I'm going to bring that promise to pass. Uh, Abraham, you've just got to keep believing. You've just got to keep walking because the God who promised it is the God who will one day perform it you just keep walking stay faithful I'm sure when Abraham got that promise brother more his chest was out his head was high the days turned into weeks and weeks into months and months into years and God is nowhere to be found what do you do I had somebody ask me some time ago, what do you do when you're going through a season of silence? God hasn't spoken to you. I said, it's very simple. You just keep doing what God told you to do the last time He spoke to you. You just keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Stay faithful to God. Keep going to church. Be active in worship. Pay your tithe and offering. Because if you'll just do your part, and if you'll just stay faithful, God, I feel this right here. If you'll just stay faithful, hey baby, faithfulness goes a long way in the eyes of God. And God says, if you'll just keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. 
I feel like I'm preaching to people right now. I know I'm preaching to a faithful group of people. You come to church every Sunday and Wednesday. You pay tithe and offering. You worship. You involve yourself. When pastor calls for help, you're there. I'm preaching to faithful people. And the devil's tried to lie to some of you and say you're doing it for nothing. You're doing it for naught. But I've come to tell you that if God made you a promise, he's going to bring it to pass. Because the one thing God cannot do is God can. Cannot lie. Abraham, look at the stars. Lift up your head, look at the stars. Look down, look at the sand. God said, Abraham, if you can count the stars and if you can count the sand, that's how much I'm going to bless you. I've always wondered, and I'm, and I'm wrapping this thing, but I've always wondered, why did God Use the sand and the stars as an analogy. Until one day the light bulb kind of went off. And I put myself in Abraham's shoes and I've got this promise. God hasn't done it yet and God hasn't brought it to pass. I put myself in Abraham's shoes and on those days when my faith is high, my head is up. There's the stars. There's God's reminder that his promise is still with me. Days turn into weeks and weeks into months and months into years, and no longer is my head up, but now my head's down. I'm sure there were days when Abraham didn't want to get out of that tent. I'm sure there were days where the more that Abraham was, he was tired of walking. And when his faith was low and his head was down, and he felt like God had lied to him and he felt like God had abandoned him, his foot goes across the sands of that shore. Here comes the sand up and it reminds him. Abraham, just because your faith is low and just because it's been a while since I talked to you, I'll set you a reminder to let you know that even when your faith is low, look at the sand on the shore, Abraham. My promises are still with you. Whether your head is up or your head is down, Abraham, you just keep walking. You just stay faithful. And the day's going to come when God brings the promise to pass. This is why as we all stand that your Bible says Abraham staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. That word staggered not in the, in the Greek is an interesting phrase because it literally means Abraham did not allow his present reality to separate him from what God said. What is his present reality? I'm 99. Sarah's 90. Her womb is dead. My body's dead. But the Bible says he staggered not, meaning he did not allow his reality and his present condition to convince him that whatever God promised him would not happen. It's very easy, ladies and gentlemen, for God to give us a promise and we look at our situation at that moment and say, there's no way this can happen. They're too far gone. The situation has worsened over time instead of getting better. If we're not careful, we can look at our reality at that moment and measure what God said based on what we see. And if we're not careful, it will rob us of the very promise God wants to do. Ten spies... Twelve spies go and spy out the land of Canaan. 
Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we're well able to take the land. Ten of them said, we can't because there's giants in the land. And we were in our own eyes as grasshoppers. You know what's amazing about that? The giants never called Israel grasshoppers. Israel called themselves grasshoppers. They measured what they were looking at up next to what God had already said years in the past. And because they were held captive by their present situation, they lost 40 years. Because if I begin to measure what God said next to what I'm looking at, it'll delay the promise God wants me to have. I'm preaching to people in this room that it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. If God said He's going to do it, He's going to do it. That's why the Bible says that He is not slack concerning His promise. As some men are, God is not slack concerning His promise. Meaning that God doesn't just say things to be saying it. We all know people that make a lot of promises when they're there in person. Talk a big game and they have no intention at all of doing what they just said. We all know people like that, but that's not the way God is. He is not slack. He's not careless with His words. If God said He's going to do it, He's going to do it. Why don't we lift our hands right now all over this house? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. I've come to tell some individuals in this room that it may have been days, weeks, months, or even years that God has spoken things and it hasn't yet happened. I've just come to remind you that if God said it, He's going to do it. But I've also come to tell you that if it's in God's book, if it's in that Bible, it can be for you in this house. You may have pain in your body right now, but there's a word in that book that lets me know that by His stripes we are healed. You may be struggling financially, but there's a verse in that Bible that lets me know that He's never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seed begging bread. Ladies and gentlemen, here's how I read that book. I don't read it like a history book. I read it like it's just as much alive today as it was the day the words were printed on that page. And I'm telling people in this room that when I have a need in my life, I'll go to this book and I'll find a situation or a story that's kind of similar to my need. And I'll say, God, if you've done it for them, you're going to do it for me. I wonder right now if we could step out of our pews. I know we've been here for a while. But I wonder right now if you've got a need in your life or a need in your family or a situation. Come on, I wonder right now if we could just step out in faith for a moment. If you're holding on to a promise, if you're holding on to a word, I'm telling people in this room right now that because you've been faithful, God's going to bring it to pass. Brother Moore, we are all striving to hear those words, well done. Good and faithful servant. 
If heaven is reserved for good and faithful people one day in the future, if heaven is my reward for being faithful, I think God can reward us a little bit down here while we're being faithful right now. And I believe I'm looking at faithful people in this congregation. And I believe God honors and God responds and God rewards people because of their faithfulness. I know people, Brother Moore, that have been healed, received miracles, whatever the need was. And God would speak to them and say, because you've been faithful all these years, this is why I'm about to do it for you. Because God looks at faithfulness as being valuable in His kingdom. You be faithful in the small things, I'll make you ruler over big things one day. And I'm looking at faithful men and faithful women in this house who's faithful to the God and you're faithful to church. You're faithful to the kingdom. And I believe there are some rewards coming in days ahead. Yes, because you do all these, but because you've been faithful. Why don't you lift your hands right now? I'm done preaching. Whatever you need right now, God, I pray right now from side to side and front to back. God, I know that I'm standing in a congregation full of faithful, dedicated people. And God, I'm praying right now for no other reason. You would answer prayers and you would bring promises to pass because of their faithfulness. Because they've kept walking and because they've kept believing and because they staggered not. God, I believe there's a, pro- a performance coming to every word that you've promised. Come on, why don't you remind God, God, this is what you said. Come on, I feel this right here. If you've got promises, God has it yet done. Why don't you remind Him? God, this is what you told me. God, this is what you said. You said they're coming back. You said you were going to heal. You said you were going to make a way. Come on, as we close out this service, why don't we just take a moment and why don't we just remind Him of His promises? Not because He's forgotten, but I believe sometimes God likes us to just remind Him that we're still believing. Let's give the glory unto the Lord in this house tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Preacher, how am I going to see those promises come to pass? By walking that pathway called faith. That's how you're going to see those promises come to pass. Can't get on a side road or any other road. You've got to stay on this pathway of faith. And God's going to show you and fulfill every single one of those promises. If you just walk that path of faith one day at a time, just keep walking. 
keep believing, keep trusting, staying faithful because you know who you believe tonight. A man's going to fulfill. He's going to owe no man. He's going to owe no man. Amen. He's the only one that can promise like that. Me and you may come up short because of one reason or another, but not him. Not God. My, what a mighty God. Hey, there's some things spoken in this house tonight. We need to take it in our hearts and our spirits and our minds and hold on to it and say, hey, I'm going to be one of those. I'm going to see those promises fulfilled. I'm going to see them come to pass. Amen. I'm going to see it happen through and by the wonderful name of Jesus. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. Birthdays. Got any birthdays? We had them all last week. Well, anniversary. I know we got one. Praise God. Is that the only one we got tonight, Brother Braden, Sister Savannah? All right. Sister Moore, if you'll come. Thank you, Brother Sanford, for the word tonight. I'm going to tell you right now, Brother Sanford's really preached to us this morning and tonight. I'm telling you, he has really spoken to our hearts, our minds, and spirits here. And we need to really take to heart what has been said, given to us in this house tonight. This is what will hold us. This is what will help us balance out and hold on until we see those promises fulfilled and taking place. Amen. Anybody that's ever received any knows it too. That's right. That's how you attained them. That's how you received them. Praise God. Well, we're going to sing happy anniversary. Brother Braden and Sister Savannah here had a privilege this morning to dedicate that baby. And hey, we're going to celebrate their anniversary tonight. God bless them. Give him a good hand. All right. Praise God. Love you and appreciate you tonight. Wednesday night service. Don't forget about the other families that's lost loved ones this week. Let's keep them in our prayers and our hearts this week. That God would be with them. Keep them throughout not just this week, but the weeks to come. That God would be with each one of them. Lift up one another. Love you tonight. Any other announcements? Sister Mallory. Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, the Christmas program practice for the small ones, okay? All right, don't forget that. All right, God bless you.